Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch The Going Live Show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um, the public defender. That was her uh, main gimmick on the uh, show. That was the main character she played, and she did that quite a few times. And if you saw the um, Hood Exorcist sketch, uh, she played the mother in the sketch. Like, I played the, uh, the priest that was trying to, you know, get the demon out of her son in the sketch. Uh, she played the mom, and I played the priest going, the power of Christ compels you. Like, that was me. Well, sadly, this past Last Christmas Eve, uh, Tata Sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show. Now, the good news is she is not hurt physically. The bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well. And she currently has a GoFundMe page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can, you know, get back to selling merch and get out there performing. And what I'm going to do is I am going to read the synopsis of her GoFundMe page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase. It. So this is on her GoFundMe page. Hey y'all, so I got carjacked. I'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times, but what recently happened to me was something I really wasn't prepared for. I was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on Christmas Eve coming home from a show. Comedy is now the majority of my income, so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Sharice merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which was another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows non-stop, but I can't let this situation situation slow me down. And as I mentioned before, Tata Sharice is a friend of mine. I've worked with her before. She is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent. And I am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to Tata Sharice's GoFundMe to help her get back on her feet, get back on the road, and get back to doing what she does best. So from now until the GoFundMe page is completed, I am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW. And this week, ladies and gentlemen, we're doing something special for this recap here on The Boochcast. This week, The Booch is riding solo. That's right. I am doing this AEW recap all alone by myself. All by myself. Prefer to be all by myself on the Boochcast. Now, the reason that I'm doing this solo is because Gator is busy again. 
which has become an ongoing issue that Gator and I have. Now, I'm going to break the fourth wall here for a second. As you know, a lot of stuff that Gator and I record, sometimes we record them well in advance. Sometimes we do them within the last 24 hours. For example, at the time that you were listening to this, it is Thursday, March 23rd, around 11.30 in the morning, which is when this thing dropped. Right now, currently at the time that I'm sitting here recording this, it is 10.27 p.m. on March 22nd. Now, we're going to have two classic pay-per-view reviews that are going to drop in the month of May that have been recorded. One is WCW Mayhem 2000. The other is King of the Ring 1993. Now, during the WCW Mayhem 2000 pay-per-view, I pretty much unload a lot of my frustrations that I've been having with Gator on that episode because even though they're airing in May, we recorded them earlier this month. And you'll notice King of the Ring 1993, I am all by myself on that one. And that's because Gator was supposed to record that with me, but he canceled on me then as well. So I'm not going to go into detail about all that. Obviously, when you hear those reviews, I'll go into more detail and I'll have more frustration and rage involved in that. But for this particular recap, I'm just going to say this. Going forward, I now have a new policy here on the Boochcast, and this will apply to all my co-hosts. If we set a date and time to record this show, or if you know after NXT or after AEW we're going to record afterwards if you do not show up and by you I'm referring to Gator, Zach and anybody else that co-hosts with me if you do not show up on the date and time that we are supposed to record if you do not call in if you are not in studio I'm basically going to record the episode alone I'm going to record by myself because I am sick and tired of having to reschedule and put things out late because nobody else has their shit together. I am a patient person, but every man has his breaking point and I have reached mine. Again, you will hear more details about this on those two pay-per-view reviews coming in May. But I just want to make this clear right off the bat. Gator couldn't show up for this recap, so I decided to do it by myself. Now, if he's able to show up for the next one, that'd be great. If he doesn't, I'll do that one by myself as well. Vinny is all out of fucks to give. So with that being said, we are going to get into this recap of AEW Dynamite that took place in Independent. Missouri. Now, normally, as you guys know, I have an elite rule on this show. I don't mention anything involving the elite, but I will for this brief moment here only because the show opens with the Young Bucks being taken out in an ambulance. Now, obviously, if these were shoot injuries, I would not celebrate this because no matter how much I hate a wrestler, I do not take pride in legit injuries done to wrestlers. But because these are kayfabe injuries, I'm jumping for joy and I'm happy because at least I know the dumb fucks won't be on my fucking TV. I will I will be able to be free from the worst tag team in the history of wrestling. Now, of course, uh, Hangman gets in the ambulance and goes with them, leaving Kenny Beta here all by himself. And all he's got with him is dumb Don Callis. So I just happened to see that because I wanted to see them get carried off in the ambulance because that brings joy to my heart. So then we move on to our first official match of the evening, a trios match. We have The Butcher and the Blade and Kip Sabian versus Emo Knievel, Stan and Tony's little dog pockets. This match was, I will say, fairly decent. 
You know, it was a decent opening match. It didn't quite piss me off as much as I thought it would because there wasn't too much fuckery. Darby didn't do a whole lot of fuckery in this match. Orange Cassidy didn't do a whole lot of fuckery in this match. Of course, Kip Sabian, he did a lot of fuckery in this match because I'm not a fan of Kip Sabian, never have been. Uh, The Butcher and the Blade, they're a decent tag team, but they're nobody special, but they did a good job. In fact, Sting pissed me off more than anybody here. And it's for a variety of reasons. Number one, I hate the fact that Sting tries to copy Orange Cassidy. I expect better from a legend and icon, and I know the only reason he's doing this is to get a cheap pop from the marks and the crowd, who actually think Orange Cassidy is worth a damn, which is why I believe the wrestling business is imploding because of the fact that people like Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen get pops from the fans. It's disgusting. And Sting also tried to do the shin kick and try to half-ass the beating of his chest, and I thought that was fucking stupid, and it, it just annoyed me like to see sting lower himself and his standards and try to make a joke out of the business that he has put so much of his life into i found it embarrassing it was the one time in my life i've ever been ashamed to be a sting fan was in this match i thought it was pathetic i think sting deserves a hell of a lot better than this i think sting should be treated a hell of a lot better than this and i just found it to be pathetic i was not i was not thrilled by this match but it did what it needed to do and of course sting gets the pin and the win after hitting the Scorpion Death Drop. And the trio celebrates as Darby has his focus on double or nothing and his hunt for the AEW World Championship. So, because obviously his goal is to, you know, get a title shot there. And I got a strong feeling at double or nothing, they're going to make it a fatal four-way with the pillars of AEW colliding with each other. And then they show a video package with the pillars and the situation with the AEW World Championship. Uh, With MJF, you could barely understand what he was saying because they were pretty much censoring every other word that was coming out of his mouth because he was pissed off and angry. And look, I like the fact that MJF can get a little edgy from time to time. But if you're saying so many inappropriate words that we're listening to dead air during your promo, that's a problem. I think MJF needs to cut back on the profanity a little bit. Not because I don't like profanity, Lord knows I fucking love it, but you're on TV. You should be able to cut a promo being pissed off without having to cuss so damn much. I think MJF is articulate enough of an individual where he doesn't need to do that. Because you have to remember, you're on fucking television. Like right now, I'm dropping a lot of F-bombs. But if I was on terrestrial radio, I wouldn't be talking like this. I wouldn't drop those F-bombs if I was on Rock 100.5 or AM 920 The Answer or B98.5 or Q100. If I was on terrestrial radio, you would get a different recap out of me. Because I would have to follow FCC guidelines. And I would appreciate it if the wrestlers would do the same. At least with your promos. I need to be able to understand what you're saying so you can sell tickets. And on that note, we move on. On to the next match of the evening for the AEW World Tag Team Titles. The Guns defend the titles against Top Flight. This was pretty much a regular tag match and pretty much what you would expect. The Guns trying to get something out of Top Flight who just want to do their chaotic spots. Again, this was just, this match was just there. It wasn't remotely interesting. The Guns are not interesting at all as tag team champions. They bring nothing to the table. Every time they come out to the ring, the crowd still chants ass boys because that's all they're really known for, being the ass boys. And Top Flight have never been in 
an interesting tag team. And even as singles guys, they're both absolute garbage. So this was not an interesting tag match. The Guns won as well they should because there's no reason for Top Flight to ever be tag team champions. They are a jobber tag team and that should stay that way forever. But then after this match is over, we get uh, FTR coming out to the ring. Uh, They come out and demand a shot at the AEW World Tag Team titles. The Guns refuse to give them a title shot and they say there's absolutely nothing they can offer that can change their minds. So FTR tries to make them an offer and say, if you give us a shot and we lose, we'll never challenge for the tag team titles again as long as you are champions. The guns say, not good enough. We're not doing it. Then they say, fine. How about this? If we lose, we'll break up as a tag team and we'll just be singles competitors forever. Guns say, not good enough. We're not interested. Are you not listening to us? We are never giving you a shot. So finally, they give their final offer, which is if we can't beat you for the titles we'll quit AEW we will leave AEW forever and the guns hear that their eyes light up and they go you know what deal and they go to extend their hands FTR go to shake their hands to seal the deal they spit in their faces and hightail it out of the ring and great heel move by the guns great way to get heat and also there was one big lob of spit coming off of Dax Harwood so you can tell that was really really good and FTR is now pissed and now we have a reason to get behind this tag team title match other than FTR going for the gold. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Once they lost the other three belts, going for the AEW belts is pretty much meaningless at this point because it would have meant more if they were holding the AEW belts along with the AAA and the Ring of Honor and the New Japan tag belts, IWGP. But of course, the Bucks didn't want to do proper business, so that's why that didn't happen. And then they had to lose all those other belts in order to get these, which I still think is stupid, fucking, retarded booking but at least with this stipulation you now have a reason for fans to get excited and I will say this there's a part of me that would love to see FTR be the tag team champions because they deserve to be because they are the best tag team in AEW there is not a tag team on this roster that is better than FTR none whatsoever they are the top tag team in this company but they have been fucked over so many times in this company they have been disrespected left and right. They've been kept off TV for months on end, barely gotten any chances to actually wrestle that there's a part of me that wants to see them lose just so they can get the fuck out of here. So they can get off this sinking ship. Because it's pretty much common knowledge, as Darby Allen mentioned in his promo last week, there's a lot of people who want to leave AEW. There's a lot of wrestlers who are not happy in this company and want to get the fuck out and realize this is not the promised land they thought it was going to be. And I think FTR is one of those people. And I know a lot of people are going to go crazy when I say this, but I honestly think if they went back to WWE, they would probably get treated better. Especially since now, it looks like the Usos are going to drop the tag team titles at WrestleMania. So now I think if FTR left AEW, went back to WWE, became the Revival, they would probably get tag title shots, tag title matches, and get treated with more respect because even though FTR admitted they weren't necessarily Triple H guys, with the way Triple H is running the company now, I honestly think he would give FTR the fair shot that they're looking for. I honestly think he would. He would definitely treat them better than Vince McMahon did. I promise you that. So I think WWE is the place they should go because they're not getting anything in AEW. They're getting nothing except a paycheck. And obviously they're happy with the check because they got to feed their families. But if you can still get a good paycheck and go 
somewhere else where you can actually be treated like the top talent that you are, do that. So I, I don't know who to cheer for in this match. It's basically a matter of, do I want to see FTR with the tag team titles or do I want to see FTR get the fuck out of AEW? So basically, whether FTR wins or loses, I'm going to be happy because I honestly think either decision will elevate their careers. On that note, we cut to the uh, backstage area with Jade Cargill, who addresses Taya before having Mark Sterling talk about the season desist regarding the use of Jade's finisher. And then Renee says a bunch of random other shit that I can't remember. And then Jade just kind of shrugs and walks off. And again, Jade Cargill is not getting anyone excited over anything right now. This whole cease and desist on Taya's finisher is stupid. Because unless Taya has a better finisher that she can use, I don't know what the hell is going to happen here. Or if they're going to have a match to get the finisher back. Or is Taya going to come in with a lawyer? And hopefully they can drag this feud out to double or nothing. And that can be where Jade finally loses the TBS championship. And I think it would be a great debut for Taya because... Because Taya is a credible talent, an incredible talent, and someone who can carry the TBS title and actually put some value and star power behind it, which is what a lot of these titles desperately need. And on that note, we cut to uh, Stokely Hathaway making his way to the ring with the firm before FTW champion Hook arrives. Stokely attempts to say that he's not medically cleared and he's also announcing his retirement. He hands a note to Justin Roberts to make the official announcement, but he's says it's a receipt from Wingstop and with that the bell rings and the no DQ match is underway with Stokely Hathaway going one-on-one against Hook. And this match was very much meat and potatoes. And it served a purpose. It didn't go very long, and it didn't need to. Now, what I liked about it was the fact that Stokely immediately jumps out of the ring, tries to escape through the crowd, but Hook eventually cuts him off and brings him back to the ring before beating the shit out of him, and then even going for the one, two, and then picking him up and breaking the count so he can inflict more punishment. And he does that by pulling out a guardrail from under the ring and setting it up. And then, of course, uh, Stoke grabs a fire signature and cools down the champ, basically just sprays him with the fire extinguisher. Stoke eventually grabs a chair from under the ring, quoting Tupac before entering to hit Hook, who stops him, hits Stoke on the back with the chair instead. Hook stays on the attack with more chair shots for hitting a belly-to-belly suplex onto the guardrail and then pins Stoke, only to turn it into a red rum that forces the ref to call for the bell, and Stokely's out. Now, here's my complaint. What is the point in having the submission on Stokely. Why not just pin him? I get it. It's his finisher, but Stokely Hathaway is a manager. A manager should not be getting choked out like that. First of all, this type of passing out should only be done to forward feuds. It should be used for special occasions. But unfortunately, AEW prostitutes this type of finish to the point where it means nothing. The only people that should be passing out during submission holds are badass baby faces who can't tap out because it would make them look weak and this is a certain baby face that should never look weak. But unfortunately, AEW doesn't grasp that concept because they want everybody on their roster to be equally weak. No one's allowed to look tough and badass. Apparently, the only person that's allowed to no-sell is Sting and everybody else has to look like pussies. So I'm sorry, that was stupid. He should have just pinned him one, two, three or if he's going to use the red rum, Stokely should have tapped out within seconds. Why? Because he's a fucking manager and he's not supposed to be stronger than a wrestler. So it should have just been a pin, one, two, 
Other than that, I enjoyed the match for what it was. And the whole Wingstop receipt thing was pretty fucking funny. And on that note, we cut to the return of Adam Cole Bebe. Adam Cole talks about feeling ready to get back to doing what he loves, which is wrestling for AEW. Everyone has a lot of questions. The biggest one being who is Cole's opponent on March 29th, which is basically next week's Dynamite when Adam Cole will officially wrestle in the ring. He's just out here cutting a promo right now. Cole starts to answer, but is cut off by the music of Daniel Garcia, who asks who's ready for story time with Daniel Garcia, baby. Garcia talks about becoming a real veteran of the ring, a locker room leader, and it's his duty to welcome Cole back and to put him in his place. Garcia updates Cole on what he's been up to while Cole has been playing stupid games on Twitch, running down the names of all the people that he's beat. Garcia says he's been proving himself as one of the best pro wrestlers, um, sports entertainers out there, asking what Cole's been doing. Cole retorts saying that the JAS has given Garcia a false sense of security and confidence and that he is still Adam Cole Bebe. He He's fought and beaten some of the very best. He's been hoping for a second chance, and he thinks he's found it in Garcia. Cole lays out the challenge to Garcia for next week, and Garcia knows what he's in for. This ends with a stare down between the two men before we go backstage, where Marvez tries to get a word from Kenny Beta and Dumb Don Callis, but we are not going to talk about that because we don't talk about the elite on this show. So, as I skip that, let me just say, I love the promo from Adam Cole. I also love the promo from Daniel Garcia. Now, I can't tell if the pro wrestler thing was a botch or if he meant to do that. I'm not sure if that was scripted for him to say pro wrestler, uh, sports entertainer, or if he just forgot because he was so passionate in his promo. But if he botched that, that's a major mistake on his part and he needs to remember not to do that again. When you're in the Jericho Appreciation Society, you're supposed to be a sports entertainer. You're not a pro wrestler. So until he leaves the JAS, he needs to remind himself that he is a sports entertainer and to conduct himself as such so he can get his heat. Cole also looks very, very good, and I'm glad to see him getting back in the ring. And I'm actually more confident in calling him Adam Cole Bebe, and I'm finally ready to drop the pussy because he's no longer with the elite and he's no longer acting like a jackass. He's actually getting back to being the badass Adam Cole that we all know and love from NXT. And I look forward to seeing that. So I'm excited. I'm actually excited to see this match next week because I know him and Daniel Garcia are going to tear the house down. Um, Daniel Garcia has definitely become a veteran of the ring. He is definitely not a locker room leader. I'm sorry. He is not a leader in any way, shape, or form. Because when you're in the JAS, only one leader, and that is Chris Jericho. Everybody else in the group is a follower. So no, Garcia is not a locker room leader. Because I can tell you right now, Garcia is not somebody I would look at as a locker room leader if I'm an AEW wrestler in that locker room. I'm sorry. Daniel Garcia, he's not even close to being a locker room leader. He's definitely a veteran of the ring, but he is not a locker room leader. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got John Moxley goes one-on-one against Stu Grayson. This was a very good match. I love how personal this match felt and how hard-hitting it was. Because one of the things that I mentioned uh, last week was about the change I'm starting to notice in the Dark Order where they're dropping the comedy bullshit and they're starting to get taken more seriously. They're acting more seriously. Stu Grayson is a prime example of that. In this match, he didn't do any fuckery. There was no goofy shit. 
There was no stupidity. It was a fight. Moxley, same thing. And once again, Moxley was able to make it through a match without fucking bleeding. I hope this is a trend that continues until the next major match where blood is actually called upon. He's finally stopping the whole blading or gigging every fucking match or putting himself in situations where he's bleeding profusely in every fucking match. Thank you, Jesus. He's finally fucking learning. I think it's finally starting to sink in for Moxley. And then, of course, Wheeler Useless tries to intervene but gets cut off by the Dark Order, which is great. Um, John Moxley hits an avalanche death rider, which didn't really look like a death rider, but obviously he had to modify it because he couldn't just spike his head into the canvas from that high up, he, especially when he's got his arms wrapped up and no way to protect himself. He would have definitely broken his neck from that impact. Now, Moxie celebrates briefly before the BCC leave through the crowd as we go backstage, where Ricky Starks addresses Juice Robinson's recent actions before giving an open challenge to the Bullet Club member for Rampage. This was another bland promo from Ricky Starks. He's starting to get very bland with these promos. They're not as interesting as they were before. I don't know if he's resting on his laurels or if he just doesn't care enough about this feud to really try, but either way, Ricky Starks, his stock is going down a little bit promo-wise because he's not really putting anything into it. Then again, Juice Robinson's nobody fucking special, but again, your job is to make the audience care about whatever match you're in. If you don't believe in it, the audience won't believe in it. And of course, they're having a match on Rampage, which again, nobody gives a fuck about Rampage. Does anybody really care about Rampage? Obviously, I don't. I don't even fucking recap it or watch it or anything like that, so I can give a fuck less about Rampage, but uh, I guess they're trying to find reasons to get people to watch Rampage, but I don't know. I don't know if this is a, if this is going to be a one and done match or some, some fuckery is going to go on there and they're going to drag this out to double or nothing but either way enjoy it on Rampage I won't watch it anyway then we come back from a commercial and we go to QTV and they do a segment featuring Ray Phoenix getting beaten up by Powerhouse Hobbs along with calling out the Lucha Brothers in general and mocking Wardlow's passport related issues before we find out there is a TNT championship match for Hobbs as Penta challenges the champ Back at ringside, we get some hype for AEW All Access next week before Sky Blue heads to the ring for the next contest. Tony Storm arrives next with the other outcasts and immediately attacks Sky as the match starts. So, obviously, um, the QTV thing is whatever the fuck, the TMZ parody. Um, they're trying to make this interesting. It's not. They're trying to break the fourth wall. It's not funny. And basically, they're just trying to set up a match between Hobbs and Penta for fucking Rampage, which again, nobody watches or cares. So on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening we got badass Tony Storm with Soraya and Ruby Soho versus Sky Blue this was a short but sweet match this was actually a good match Tony Storm carried Sky Blue to a very good match and Sky Blue showed that she can be a potential great baby face she overcame the odds or tried to overcome the odds I should say because obviously Tony Storm was getting the win here but either way they worked very well there wasn't any stupidity. Everything in the match was believable from the interference to even uh, the chops that Tony was giving to Sky Blue on, against the ring post and then Sky moving out of the way and her smacking her hand, hurting her hand and then Sky Blue going after Tony but Tony ducks and boom, hits Ruby Soho but Ruby doesn't fight back. You know, Soraya tries to hold her back because she knows if she hits Sky Blue, she'll win via disqualification which makes it believable. It's like, okay, I don't want to get my friend disqualified so I'm going to let that go because the loss will hurt more than me just beating the tar out of her. So, like I said, phenomenal match. 
Great back and forth action. In the end, Tony hits the Storm Zero for the win. The Outcasts slide into the ring to do their routine, but then Rio and Willow rush to the ring to make the save. The Outcasts tease confronting them before retreating up the ramp, as heels do. And of course, Rio once again brings out the lead pipe, because like I said last week, the only way anyone should back down from fucking Rio is if she has a fucking weapon in her hand. Because her by herself is not menacing, is not dangerous, and no one should be backing down from her. If you back down from her and she don't have a weapon in her hand, you've buried yourself at that point. Then, of course, after the rundown for Rampage and what's to come next week, we go backstage for a medical update on Stu Grayson before he gets attacked by the BCC. They just beat the shit out of him and then drop the ice packs on him and leave him laying. And now that brings us to the main event of the evening, but because it involves the Elite, I'm not talking about it. So this show is pretty much going to wrap up early. But before I officially do, there is one thing about this match that I want to say, and that is this. In the days leading up to this match, when they first advertised it till now, the number one thing that I noticed in the promo for this is they called it a dream match. And the big debate online is whether or not this was a dream match. I'm going to say this right now, and I'm probably going to get a lot of heat, but I don't give a fuck. I don't mind the heat because I'm brutally honest and I know what the fuck I'm talking about. This is not a dream match, and I'm going to tell you why. Because a dream match, first of all, to qualify as a dream match, you have to know who both the wrestlers are. And that has to be known to everybody that watches wrestling. If I have to ask who one of the wrestlers are in the match... It's not a dream match. And if a fan or the company expects me to go online and Google who this person is, then again, it's not a dream match if you can't tell me who this fucking person is. And then some people complain about, well, I'm sorry they didn't do a bunch of vignettes leading up to the match explaining who it is. That's what wrestling is supposed to fucking do. Your job as a promoter, as a booker, as a writer, if Tony Khan wants to be the booker of the year, then he has to do the job properly. And part of that job is educating your audience on who the fuck a person is if they don't know. And the fact that nobody knows who El Hijo Del Vecino is tells you right away that's not a dream match. I also know it's not a dream match because before this match was booked, nobody had ever talked about it on social media. No one talked about it in group settings. I don't know anybody that's hung out with a group of friends that loves wrestling. Think about this. If you went to a school cafeteria, if you're a student, listen to this. Were you sitting in a cafeteria with your friends talking about these two ever locking up in a ring? Have you hung out with other friends? Have you been at other wrestling shows and talked with other wrestling fans or other wrestlers for that matter about what it would be like to see these two fight? That's what a dream match is. For example, Hulk Hogan versus The Rock was a dream match. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Goldberg was a dream match. The Undertaker versus Goldberg, despite the fact that it sucked, was a dream match. That's why they booked it to begin with. We didn't know it was going to suck, but nonetheless, it was still a dream match because of the iconic status of both men. Stone Cold versus Hulk Hogan was a dream match. John Cena versus The Rock was a dream match. Bruno San Martino versus Hogan was a dream match. Austin versus Hogan was a fucking dream match. Um, hell, even The Miz versus MJF is considered a dream match. And this is coming from somebody who hates The Miz. 
But again, it's a match that people have talked about. CM Punk versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Dream match. Those are dream matches. Hell, Kurt Angle versus Bret Hart. And again, this is coming from a guy who doesn't like Bret Hart. That was a dream match. Because the two people involved had legendary, iconic status, and everybody knew who both of them were. You do not have to educate the audience on who any of those guys are. If you are a fan of professional wrestling, you know the name Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know who The Rock is. You know who Hulk Hogan is. You know who Bruno San Martino is. You know who The Undertaker is. You know who Goldberg is. You you know who Kurt Angle is and you know who Bret Hart is. Now, obviously there are a lot of wrestling fans who know the name Kenny Omega. They definitely know him now since he's been on AEW. He's got a bit more mainstream status but not a whole lot because not a lot of people watch AEW because again, they stay in their own imaginary bubble and have no intention of growing their fan base. But El Hijo Del Bikino, who really knew who this fucking guy was? I have never heard his name come up in anything ever. Even when I hear luchador wrestling and people talking about luchador style wrestling, his name never came up. I had no idea who the fuck this guy was before this match was booked. So automatically, that's not a dream match because no one was talking about it. No one was excited about it until it was officially booked. And the only reason people liked it was because it was it had Kenny in it. And, a, and most AEW fans are fucking marks for Kenny Omega. That's it. No one knew who this fucking guy was. And here's the thing. I'm sure he's a great wrestler. I'll never know because I didn't watch this main event. Put him in the ring with somebody that I'll actually watch, and then I'll be able to properly judge if he's a good talent. And that's the thing. Just because I'm saying this isn't a dream match and that I don't know who this guy is doesn't mean that I'm not saying he isn't good. I'm sure he's a great wrestler. I'm sure if I see him wrestle, I will be entertained by what he does. And if he's facing somebody other than a member of the elite, I'm willing to watch him and give a proper analysis on whether he's a great wrestler or just another Latino spot monkey. But I'm sorry, this is not a dream match. It was not treated as one, and the fact that they waited to the day of the show to try to explain who the fuck he was is a problem. If this was truly a dream match, you wouldn't have booked it a week out. You would have dragged it out. You would have given everybody time to find out who he was. You would have had him wrestle a couple matches against a few other people. You would have had vignettes. You would have had videos on YouTube. You would teach the audience who this guy is. And in what way is he a dream match with Kenny? Does he have the same accolades as Kenny Omega? Does he have the same personality as Kenny Omega? Have they had any beef with each other? Whether be a kayfabe beef or a shoe beef? What is it about these two locking up that makes this a dream match? No one's been able to answer that question. And the reason they can't answer it is because there isn't one because this isn't a dream match. And I get Tony wants to hype up the match. I get it. You want to hype it up. You want to make it exciting. But words mean something in advertisements. Okay? You can call it a grudge match. You can call it a match for the ages. You can call it the debut of El Hijo Del Vecino and make that the selling point. Hey, those of you who don't know who he is, you're about to find out who he is. There's a million different ways you can promote this match. But dream match was not the way to go because no one dreamed of this match. It's not something that fans have been talking about for eons and eons. Be specific with your words. The deal is in the details. That's important. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will officially wrap up this recap of AEW. Hopefully, Gator will join me for the next one. If not, I'll just be all by myself.
again. So uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Make sure you check out the latest episode of Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of the 90s. Um, Actually later today around 2 p.m. Our episode involving tabloid TV is going to drop uh, later today. You'll be checking out the um, the craziness uh, surrounding uh, tabloid TV in the 90s, the birth of tabloid TV, as well as the story involving uh, the Buttafucos and Amy Fisher. So check all that out on Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the 90s, on our YouTube channel. Also, you can follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, April 1st, and Sunday, April 2nd for Wrestle. Mania 39. That's right. Join us for the biggest event in all the professional wrestling. We're going to be doing two nights of live streaming. I recently discovered that I will not be at WrestleCon during WrestleMania weekend, so I will be here streaming both nights with the Boochcast team. We'll be getting together to watch the show. We got a few people coming over. Got a few ideas we're going to be doing. Um, And we got a star-studded stacked card for this event. Obviously, on night one of WrestleMania, guaranteed, we'll see Seth freaking Rollins go one-on-one against Logan Paul. And on night two of WrestleMania, guaranteed, it will be Roman Reigns defending the undisputed WWE Universal Championship against Cody Rhodes. And we also got Charlotte Flair defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against Rhea Ripley. Bianca Belair defending the Raw Women's Championship against Asuka. Brock Lesnar will go one-on-one against Omos. And we got Gunter defending the Intercontinental Championship against Drew McIntyre and Sheamus in a triple threat match. I knew that was going to fucking happen. And we got Austin Theory defending the United States Championship against John Cena. Also, in a six-woman tag match, we got Trish Stratus, Lita, and Becky Lynch versus Dan damage control. We got Edge versus Finn Balor inside hell in a cell. We have a women's WrestleMania showcase and a fatal four-way tag team match, which I hope to God is on the pre-show because it's a fucking waste of time. We got Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez against three other teams to be announced in the coming weeks. And on the men's WrestleMania showcase side, I hope that's also on the pre-show because again, this is fucking stupid. We got Braun Strowman and Ricochet versus the Street Profits versus Alpha Academy versus the Viking Raiders. So they pretty much just put all these guys together in this match, but they still want to drive the women's one out, I guess, to fill up time on the TV shows leading up to Mania. And of course, the tag match we've all been waiting for, the Usos will defend the undisputed WWE tag team titles against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Wouldn't you know who won the pony on predicting that happening? Join us for all this excitement on April 1st and April 2nd on twitch.tv slash theboochcast. Also, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special project in the works. You can also support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works 
match the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is 99 cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WB Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, got nowhere to put that $9.99. So $10.99, bring it over here. We got better content than the network, and unlike All Elite Wrestling, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes they're to be paid for their hard work, provided they actually show up to actually do some fucking work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.